It's Twin Bills, the Red Sox podcast from the sports department of the Providence Journal, featuring Red Sox beat writer Bill Koch, along with sports editor Bill Corey. Now, Twin Bills. Hello and welcome to this week's Twin Bills Red Sox podcast. This is Bill Corey, sports editor at the Providence Journal. With me is the freshly vaccinated Bill Koch. Bill, how you feeling these days? Uh, much better now than, than I did on Wednesday, Bill Corey. Thank you very much. Uh, I had my second COVID-19 <clears throat> shot. Good for you. On Tuesday. Um, you know, felt pretty good the rest of the day. And then Wednesday woke up and, and felt like uh, essentially I had spent the previous three days in Las Vegas. Um, <laughs> Without the, having the benefit of actually doing that. Right? Yes. Uh, you know, a sort of uh, chills, fever, you know, body aches, that sort of thing. Um, and I was actually thankful to have it because it showed that my body was reacting, um, you <laughs> right, know, that, that right. I wasn't actually dead inside. Um, you know, and I, as I sit here uh, Friday in the studio with you, still with mask on, yeah. um, I feel much better. Uh, I, I have been able to, to watch the Red Sox from home uh, and, and work from home, which has been nice, but uh, much better, uh, you know, very relieved in that way and, and happy to do my part to help us uh, get back to normal here. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so I, I am happy to report I've had my first shot and uh, hopefully in another couple of weeks or so I'll get my second and uh, Good. then we'll all have our superpowers back and uh, we yes. can uh, mingle in the bars, which I never do anyway, but... Uh, <laughs> We can we can pretend, can't we? So. I, I see lots of mingling coming from me. Right. I, I guarantee you that. Uh, so, Bill, uh, as we sit here on a Friday, uh, the Red Sox uh, kind of dropped a uh, tough one last night. In extra innings, and it was close, and then it wasn't close. Uh, but overall, still, you really can't complain about this team so far. I believe they are. Uh, I want to say twelve and eight, still atop the um, still atop the American League East. Yep. Um, and so we're going to hit on a few things, and the first is the pitching of the Boston Red Sox so far. We've had some good good news stories and some not-so-good news stories. I think the good news stories, obviously, are uh, Evaldi has been fantastic still. Mm. Erot has been doing pretty well. Yes. Uh, I think Nick Pavetta has shown himself to be pretty good. Mm. You know, last night uh, only allowed one hit. Um before uh, being removed, and obviously they ended up losing the game. Uh, and then, and then maybe uh, we are kind of uh, uh, slowly, and maybe not so slowly, kind of uh, on the on the decline after that. So let's uh, let's let's start today's podcast by looking at the mound men, so to speak. And sure. What do you uh, What do you take so far? Now, of course, we have to. Uh, Make sure that we are taking everything with a grain of grain of salt at this point because we are all of twenty games in. Right. But I think we've seen these guys now, you know, three or two or three times anyway, at least the starters. So we could probably have a at least an early sense of what they're like. Yeah, uh, best start of the season to date for Pavetta on Thursday <coughs> night. Uh, I would argue the best start uh, of his brief Red Sox career to date. Um, and he's been pretty good, you know. It certainly has had a decent season. You know, what I liked most about it was, uh, especially early in the outing, was how he was challenging. He was in the strike zone. Uh, he was efficient. Yep. Uh, Through 48 of his first 69 pitchers for strikes, which is something that he hasn't done all that frequently uh, since his trade to Boston in August 2020. Um, it, it was it was disappointing to see the way it ended. Uh, for him personally, um, you know, a couple walks and, and then a two-run double, and he's involved in a no decision in a two-two game after six. Uh, you know, obviously, as you mentioned, they end up losing in extra innings, but you know, he's been good so far. Uh, I think Evaldi is is clearly the best starter they've had so far. Uh, he's been very effective through four outings. Uh, no home runs allowed, which I think is is probably the most critical thing if you're looking at his line there. Yeah. Um, you know, also only four walks and, and 24 strikeouts in 22 three and two-third innings. Um, so he's had good command, uh, and he's been able to avoid damage. I, I think that's really important. Uh, I've written this and, and said this. Uh, I think the best thing we could say about Eduardo Rodriguez is he looks normal. Mm. Uh, and that's after a year where he obviously didn't pitch, uh, dealing with myocarditis. Uh, he looks like himself out there. Only two walks, 18 strikeouts, 12 hits allowed in 16 innings. 
pretty good. Yeah. You know, he's been hurt by the home run ball a little bit. I will blame Camden Yards for a couple of those. Mm. He was playing a bit like a launching pad. He gave up a couple cheapies to, to right field. Um, I think generally he's been quite good. I, I think those two guys at the top of your rotation, I think that's a pretty good start, the way they're pitching right now. Absolutely. I mean, I don't think you can ask him much more from Erod. We weren't really sure what we're going to be getting after him missing a season last year. Not at all. Uh, and so far, so good. And Ivaldi, and we keep saying this, you know, uh, pitching great. The question is, how healthy is he going to stay? Is he going to be right. missing a significant amount of time? But, you know, whatever. He's been doing fine. Uh, you get beyond that, Pavetta's been okay, although his walk numbers are not so good. Uh, if I if I'm reading this correctly, but uh, generally I think he's certainly kept the kept the teams kept the team in the game when, when he's had the mound. Yep. Uh, and uh, you know I think that he is sort of slotted in and settled in pretty nicely with with the team. Uh, and then after that it's it's okay. So now we've got uh, we've got Martin per- Martin Perez and Garrett Richards. Uh, so uh, neither have necessarily been uh, exactly Tom Seaver on the mound. Uh, so, Gat Richards is the last one that I remember seeing, and you know, again, uh, he just to look at the numbers here. He's zero two. He's got an ERA north of six. He's got thirteen walks, and they're paying him ten million dollars a year. So this is why this is why us nasty Boston sports fans uh, can get on guys because you know you can sit there and say, hell, I could do that for a lot less than ten million dollars a year. <laughs> Of course, which, I, w- I would do much worse. Yeah, which but. you could not. It's, it's a total <laughs> right. lie, of course. Right. <laughs> but uh, so, what what do we make of Garrett Richards so far? At, you know, at at twenty games into the season, are we? I mean, you know, I, I've certainly not been a fan of his so far. He's not somebody who is. Uh, um, I think uh, made lots of friends, so to speak. Uh, you know, he's not pitched very well. He's kind of has some excuses after when he doesn't pitch well lately he's he's uh i guess it was a shock to him that it's cold here in the spring (laughs) i mean we all have phones now bill right and the phones tell us what the weather is going to be like so i I thought did he not know where boston was on the map or something but when he signed he didn't anticipate the new england in in april anyway could be a little tough so you know uh yeah uh at the risk of 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 uh, you know piling on the guy unfairly at th- this early juncture, you know I- I'll leave it to you. Uh, you know sober, uh, clear-minded uh, look. Yes, uh, you uh, clear-minded look at uh, at Garrett Richards and his and his stuff so far and what you make of him. You give me too much credit, Bill Corey. I, I do appreciate <laughs> well, you took, that. You had the vaccine recently, so you have to be sober. Do I? <laughs> I, think so. I think that's one of the things. As I sit here doing this podcast, I am sober. I, I assure you that uh, my take would be far different after a couple Jamesons, uh, but I, I will try to give you my... That's why we do this at 2 in the afternoon and not 10 at night. One of these days, we're going to do this while we're drinking, and it's going to be outstanding. We um, can do it right across the street at Murphy's. Yes, our friends at Murphy's would host this. It would be outstanding. I'm convinced of that. Um, the, the biggest issue with Garrett Richards so far is command. Uh, 13 walks, 12 strikeouts in, in yeah. 16 and two-third innings. Um, um, you know, it's just been far too easy to get on base against him. Um, you know, the other night against Toronto, he had six walks. He didn't finish five innings. Um, didn't have any sort of feel for for a slider. Um, you know, couldn't necessarily find the zone with, with his fastball consistently either. Uh, you know, and that's that's a major issue. And and as we saw um, in Thursday's game against Seattle, uh, seven walks, only three hits allowed. Uh, but those walks ended up hurting the Red Sox badly. Um, you know, they entered that game. They were tied for seventh in the league in walks issued. Uh, they were twelfth in the league in walks per nine innings. Uh, you're on the wrong half of that curve. Right. Um, you know, and to me, I, I, I wonder: does that mean that your guys lack command, or that they lack confidence in their stuff? Um, in Richard's case, if, if you just look at the raw materials he has, uh, fastball. You know, that can approach the upper 90s. He's got really good bite on his breaking ball, and, and you know, he has a feel for a slider every once in a while. Uh, you would say that it's something that, that he should be able to find, that they hope he's able to find. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as you mentioned, you, you give him a one-year deal with a club option. It's a guaranteed $10 million up front. Which is the most, uh, which is the highest annual uh, average salary, I think, for a free agent the Boston gave this past winter. I mean, I, I don't think anyone else uh, so signed off the free agent market to, to a bigger contract. 
That's correct. And, and so that, by very definition, is going to buy him a longer leash. Yeah. Uh, his track record in the big leagues, the fact that he has had extended periods of success previously, that's going to buy him a, a longer leash. Uh, so for folks who are hoping that Garrett Richards is, is designated for assignment before the end of May, oh, I, no. I think you're going to be left disappointed. Yeah. Uh, they're going to give him ample opportunity to try to figure this out. Um, you know, but he has been underwhelming. At this point, uh, Martin Perez has been a little too easy to hit. Mm -hmm. Uh, 16 hits in 13 and two-thirds innings. Uh, He gave up seven hits in three and two-thirds and a loss to the White Sox his last time out. Um, You know, he just needs to find uh, softer contact, you would say. Um, You know, find a way to to miss a few more bats. Um, You know, keep the ball out of play a little bit more. I I know they they want him to challenge the strike zone a little bit. They they feel like he has good enough stuff to to pitch within the strike zone. Um, You know, but he has been a little bit too hittable here early on. Um, You know, so I would say, I I think to your larger point that that started this discussion, I think the Red Sox starters right now are are sort of in three different tiers. You've got the two guys who you could certainly see lasting all the way into September, um, you know, with health aside, that's Evaldi and Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. You have one guy who I think has separated himself in maybe that middle tier, and that's Pavetta. And then you have two guys who are clearly at the bottom of the rotation, and that's Richards and Perez. Yep. And, and you're curious now, uh, considering some of their developments elsewhere on the roster, uh, Chris Sale is going to go to Fort Myers on Sunday. Uh, it is anticipated that he's going to start to take more steps in his rehab process. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my expectation is that we may see him on the mound by the end of May in Fort Myers. The reason he's going there is access to throw to live hitters. Uh, he can get more work in at the club spring training site. There are players there, prospects there working out so Sale could pitch in live situations right. uh, at some point he could work himself to that point um, you know so I think that is a, an important next step for him to take uh, Tanner Houck is scheduled to throw six innings um, in a simulated game at Worcester on Friday so he's still being built up as a starter you wonder when he might be summoned again uh, either to make a, a spot start or maybe to take a permanent place in the rotation. Um, so those are the two greatest threats. If you are one of the five guys currently in the Red Sox rotation, um, I think if you're Valdi or you're Rodriguez, you're feeling very safe. I think Pavetta should feel reasonably safe. I think the contract makes Richard safe for now. To a point. Uh, yeah. To a point, I, yeah. I think Perez would probably be in the the guy who is in the most jeopardy right now as we sit here. Yep. Um, you know, but as you said. It's 20 games in. Yeah. These guys have had three turns. Some of them have had four. Uh, the Red Sox are going to take more time to let this shake out before they make those sorts of, of you know, maybe more seismic decisions. You know, um, the risk is that we expect um, Chris Sale to come back and be Chris Sale right away, and I don't think that's going to happen. But I do think what Chris Sale would, would bring back is a little bit of a swagger, I think, to that starting rotation that may not necessarily have very much right now. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that goes a long way to to uh, to kind of rub off on some younger pitchers and just really as the, in, in the staff, uh, to the staff as a whole. Uh, it's certainly encouraging that they're, that they're making noise about Chris Sale throwing from a mound soon. And, uh, you know, if it was only a couple of years ago, Bill, we would be excited to go watch Chris Sale throw at McCoy Stadium. Obviously, that honor now goes to Worcester yep. at Polar Park. But I'm sure they will probably see uh, one or two starts at Chris, uh, from Chris Sale before he, uh, before he lands in Boston, which will probably be, I think we were chatting about this a little earlier, somewhere around the All-Star break, a little bit after probably. If, if all goes, you know, continues to go according to plan here. Yeah, the, the Red Sox haven't put a date on this, but I'm going to put a target out there for okay. you. I, I'm going to say August 1st is probably the date that you should be looking at. I, I think if he's able to come back before August 1st, I, I think maybe he'll have accelerated a little bit at some point. Yeah. Um, but I think August 1st considering he's had a couple setbacks uh, with some neck stiffness and, and contracting COVID-19 in, in January. Um, I think August 1st is, is probably a realistic date that you could look at for Chris Sale to be out there again. Well, you know, if the Red Sox are still 
either at the top or near the top of the division and you get an addition like Chris Sale and Chris Sale is even 80% of the Chris Sale that we remember when he was uh, uh, healthy, then I think that is a major midseason acquisition, so to speak. No question. Uh, and could certainly help him down the stretch. Uh, so, Bill, let's uh, let's talk about a couple of things that you had written about over the last week, and that is generally, and the theme of them is essentially the the good time, fun to watch Red Sox, which kind of seems uh, uh, so uh, opposite from what we've seen from the Red Sox over the last season. <laughs> but they are they certainly have been a fun team to watch, and they've been a fun team to watch for, in my estimation, a couple of reasons. The first is that they're good. And that helps, you know, uh, when you are good and you are winning games, uh, things, uh, yeah, you know, it not only attracts viewers, but, you know, it kind of uh, instills a sense of um, uh, of good times and wanting people to, to uh, go watch the team, and pay for tickets and all that. But they've also been doing a couple of things that I think have, have attracted some attention. And they're fun. You know, these are these are. These are signs of, of a team that gets gets along well. Uh, that uh, you know they're not the old twenty five guys, twenty five cabs, Red Sox uh, of the late seventies or early eighties, whenever that was. When you were not even a, a speck on the planet, and I was a uh, an aspiring little leaguer at the time down in Fall River. Ah, very good. Yeah, mm-hmm. but um, and that is uh, the Red Sox have a couple of uh, of uh, I guess uh, customs or routines that uh, have have uh, caught caught our attention and the attention of a lot of the media recently. One is the laundry cart. Yeah. So where the hell did this come from? First of all, laundry carts are, exist in all dugouts, I guess, right? All clubhouses. Can't they wait till after the game till they do the laundry? Or <laughs> well, do they have we'll those? Do, that too. do they have those top bottom Sears Robux things where you, you do the uh, you do the laundry right there between innings? Uh, they they have uh, industrial washers and dryers uh, just off clubhouses. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not. The, the Red Sox home clubhouse being what it is, we, we don't necessarily get to see you know what goes on necessarily outside, yep. players' lounge or, or dining or whatever else. Those have sort of been added on yep. piecemeal over the years because Fenway Park is so old and, and its footprint is so small. Um, but if you go to a They unit, have washboards at Fenway they Park. May. <laughs> <laughs> they may. They go down to the Charles River and they scrape it off and that, yeah. Yeah. Using some sort of fig leaf as, as soap instead, <laughs> some lye or whatever the hell that was. <laughs> it's, it's, right. Exactly. Um, you know, most other places though, newer stadiums. You 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 know, like let's let's just say, uh, you know, mentally, I'm trying to do physical footprints in my head. Uh, I I, th- I think about Yankee Stadium, yeah. new Yankee Stadium, right. um, which is know. awesome to behold, by the way. Amazing, yeah, it, right. it is. Yeah. Uh, you know, completely soulless, completely corporate. <laughs> Compared to the old place, but but right. if you're a player in terms of modern amenities and and comforts, um, you know it is wonderful. It's exactly what you're looking. For. You know, when I first went to the new Yankee Stadium, this is going back a ways now. Uh, I don't know, six seven years ago, uh, with some friends, it just struck me as the the perfect stadium for the Yankees because it was big, it was bold, it was corporate. It was New York brash. You know, the Yankees wouldn't fit in Fenway Park. You know, just the Mm-mm. just the uh, the idea and the and the uh, the ego of the Yankees. But that stadium is a perfect monument to that team. Which, uh, by the way, are in last place. And we'll get to that later on. But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but you, uh, you know, so you have a clubhouse. It's it's spacious. There, uh, you know, there are couches in the middle that you can lounge on. TVs. Yeah. Um, but just off the clubhouse, you have. This one huge industrial laundry room that has two washers and two dryers that, that you could fit you know laundry for the whole team in. Right. Um, you know, it's got a dining room, it's got a manager's office, it's got a clubhouse attendance office. Um, you know, and in every clubhouse there is a laundry cart, and and it looks like a shopping cart. It's on wheels. Um, you know, generally players will throw uniforms in as a group, yeah. and then they'll throw towels in. As a group, um, you know, in the Red Sox last year, when they hit home runs, they were looking for a way to celebrate those. Uh, and and if, you, usually, folks, you celebrate by running running around the bases and people are clapping, but there's nobody there to clap. Well, last but season. you know, the personal interactions. There's high fives. Yeah. There's hugging. Um, you know, you, there's you, pointing to the sky. Yeah, you go right. into the dugout and and you're sort of you know near guys and you chest bump a little bit and. Last year, and and I'm sure you you can relate to this, and I certainly could. Right, because I, I've hit a lot of major league home runs. I mean, just in everyday <laughs> life, in terms of the awkwardness of our physical interactions. Yeah, what do we do? 
Do we shake hands? Do we hug? Not Do these we... days, cer- certainly. We haven't hugged in two years, Bill. Well, <laughs> that's your choice, not mine. Um, Again, I, I, getting that second shot soon, Bill. That's right. I'm hugging everybody <laughs> once you know. Once I figure out you're vaccinated, watch out. Right. I'm going to be a hugging, uh, a hugging machine. Right. Um, you know, but players were, you know, they were so encouraged to social distance and stay away from each other. And who knows if you have COVID and there are no vaccines and we're trying to play games. And there really was no way for them to be a team. Yeah. In in that way. Um, and so I, I guess it was Kevin Ploiecki who came up with the laundry cart. And, and I guess the thinking was. So that's what he does. It, well, <laughs> aside from hit the ball, which, yeah. which he can do that. That's too. true. That's true. Uh, he certainly can't throw it, um, you know, but we'll, we'll not slag on the Red Sox backup. Kevin no, no, no. He, he's been a, he's been a nice pickup for them. And and he's, you know, he's a good clubhouse guy, too. Yeah. He, he understands his role yeah. in that. And, and so, <clears throat> you know, in doing this, he has added value to the team with the laundry cart. Um, the thinking was that. If you can't necessarily stop and, and interact with your teammates for you know five ten seconds face to face, that maybe you put a player in a laundry cart, and he sort of rolls down the dugout with guys on either side, and he sort of slaps some quick high fives on the way down and, and gets out at the end. Yeah. Um, you know, and you have to remember, you have to think back to last year what dugouts looked like. They had auxiliary dugouts. They had auxiliary bullpens. Yeah. You know, there was a limit. You could only have like 10 guys in the dugout at, at a given time. The rest of them either had to go in the stands, go to the clubhouse, right. or they were out in the field. Um, you know, so it was just a very odd time uh, in terms of the normal, personal, physical interactions on a bench. And, yep. and so they sort of went for this quick, if safe, I guess, safe with my quote fingers, right. celebration. The laundry cart. Yeah. Um, and they've carried that over into this year. They have fun with it. It's one of those stupid things that a team does that, you know, is unique to them. And they seem to like it. Go ahead and do it. Sure. Sure. And they're winning. And that and that's that's the big thing. They're winning. So these things are cute and fun and all that. Right. Uh, and the other thing, of course, that that, that we've picked up on uh, is the uh, Red Sox, once they reach, I think it's usually second base. Uh, they they wave to their they wave to their teammates in the dugout. It's you know kind of a quick wave. I guess Franchi Cordero was one of the first to do it. At least that's when you know people started noticing. Anyway, yeah. Uh, you know it 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 speaks to how baseball has kind of uh, advanced because if somebody got to second base and started waving to their dugouts in like 1987. <laughs> The other dugout would come out and tackle that guy. Right. You know, I mean, there was no showing it up pitchers or teams. or But now, you know, there's bat flips and there's, you know, uh, there's uh, all these kinds of expressions of joy. And, and this is nothing, uh, you know, over the top. But it's, it's kind of, you know, the fans are paying attention to it. And you get on there and you wave and the camera catches it. And it's, it's kind of a fun little thing. Here's what I'm picturing, okay? At, at some point later this summer when we allow more people back into ballparks and, and eventually we will yeah um and i think that day is coming soon um and i, and I really hope it is um you know you're, you're picturing a guy like franchi cordero who, who doubles off the monster against tampa the fourth game of the season he, he gets out to second base and and for whatever reason he waves to the red sox dugout now i don't know why he did that i i would imagine that they're yelling at him you know hey way to go great job and, yep. and he sort of acknowledged them with a with a quick wave, uh, Kike Hernandez sort of picked up on it, and, and he started to do it. And you know, Kike's sort of one of those infectious personalities who I think could spread something like that. Um, you know, and all of a sudden, the next thing you know, the, the rest of the team is doing it. What I'm imagining going forward is when we have more fans in the stands, and the Red Sox are playing at home, and a player hits a double, turns to the dugout, starts waving at the dugout. You're going to have five sections of fans behind the dugout who are waving back along with the players. Probably true. And that's the type of thing that fans are going to enjoy. You you think back to like, you know, Shane Victorino in 2013. He's coming to the plate to Three Little Birds. Yep. And all of a sudden, you've got Fenway Park screaming, "Every little thing's going to be all right." And it's just those stupid little things that you look at, and it's a nothing thing, but it's something that keeps it light for the players. It's something that engages the fan base. And I think baseball, you know, just generally needs a lot more of that. It, it's been so stodgy and so stale. Guys want to flip bats so long as you're not getting to the point where you're pointing in a pitcher's face and saying, oh, yeah, you know, I got you. Like, there is a way to celebrate 
that guys are finding. There is a way to express yourself that guys are finding, and it makes the game more fun. You know, when I was uh, uh, watching the, the waving, it struck me that this is one one of the advantages of baseball and its pace, because there is no other professional sport in which something like this could exist. You can't do it in basketball because there's, the action doesn't stop. You can't really do it in hockey. Football, you're too far removed from the players uh, for something like that to, I, I think... Yeah, I mean, maybe you can, but something like that to happen uh, on, a re- on as regular a basis. Whereas baseball, you know, they don't have all this heavy equipment on and helmets. And you see the players, you see their faces. There are these natural stopping points. I mean, there's, you know, you get a double, you call timeout and your gloves are being picked up. So there's these little stopping points and the, these opportunities for these interactions with the fans, if yes. that's what it becomes, and, and your... Um, you know, and your uh, and your teammates because you don't have a coach yelling at you to get back on defense. You know, you know, you have these little moments where you have a chance to, you know, whatever. You you put the other quarterback, you put the quarterback on his butt, but he's running the no huddle offense. That's right. And you need to get back and line up on defense. Right. Right. Absolutely. So right. You know, it's one of the it's one of the advantages of baseball's slow pace, I guess. Uh, so, uh, Bill, <clears throat> we shouldn't. Uh, uh, let the offense uh, off the hook completely. And while Xander Bogarts and J.D. Martinez and now Alex Verdugo uh, and Devers have all been uh, doing very well at the plate, they're all hitting either right around 300 or in case of Bogarts and Martinez, 360 and 371. Um, there have been a few disappointments, I think, early on. And again, we temper everything with they've only played 20 games so far. Right. But... Um, so a couple of them uh, that I've uh, kind of been sort of noticing and keeping an eye on, and I'm sure everyone else has too, is uh, so Hunter Renfro, who is their right fielder, has been a very good pickup in terms of his uh, defense, but uh, at the plate, not so much. Yeah. Uh, and so I guess my concern or my question to you is how concerned should we be about Hunter Renfro uh, moving forward, uh, you know, it's easy if everybody else is picking up the weight and you can hide somebody who's, who's hitting around 200 or so. But, uh, you know, I, I think that we were expecting, at least I was expecting a little bit more from him uh, at the plate. Yeah, 13 games, uh, but a 487 OPS. So that's basically non-competitive. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you, would, you would think that, you know, he'd run into a couple balls maybe. And, Just by and, accident, yeah. Yeah, you know, and he's got... One home run and one double in, in 13 games, 50 plate appearances. Uh, that's not going to get it done for, right. for that guy. Uh, defensively, he's a lot better than, than I knew, uh, to be frank. He made a real nice play last night on th- uh, Thursday night uh, in the corner right field. He, he is a good defensive outfielder. Yeah. Um, and you, may not, you might not know that looking at him. You know, He doesn't necessarily strike you as this really speed guy or something like that, but he is a very good player. Well, the reputation Defensively. is he's this big power hitter yeah. who who's an all-or-nothing homer guy, a three-true-outcome guy. Um, generally, those guys aren't that adept with the glove. Right, and you don't expect them to be. No. Uh, they, they tend to have more of a power profile, more of a physical profile, I, I guess you could say. Yep. He's quite good in right field at, at Fenway. Sure. And, and that's not an easy place to play either. Um, no, you know, I mean, you know, my favorite player of all time uh, for the Red Sox is Dwight Evans. Dwight Evans, sure. And, and you know, he played right field like nobody's business. And, uh, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a tough field because in a lot of ways it's the largest, you know, it's, well, center field is probably the largest, but it, stri- it strikes you as one of the largest fi- right fields to play in, 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 in the league. Yeah, it's center field and, and it's center field size. Yeah, but you're playing it with all sorts of weird angles <clears throat> and walls and and you know bullpens coming at you and, and whatever else. It is a very odd, very unique position to play uh, right field at Fenway Park, as is left field at Fenway Park. Uh, but Renfro has he has distinguished himself with the glove, with the bat, uh, not so much. Yeah, yeah. So again, we're 20 games in, but that's sort of some someone that I'm kind of pulling for because you know uh i I think he is a good uh he is a good player and i think that he can add a lot to the bottom of that lineup even if he can just you know get his average up to maybe 230 240 250 something like that and i gotta believe somebody like that the power is going to come so uh and i guess another guy that uh you know not great not terrible marwin gonzalez um he's had 54 at bats he's hitting around 222 um, you know he's had some good at bats, and and uh, I remember some decent uh, 
decent at bats where he's uh, driven in uh, some runs and stuff. Um, you know, I guess Marwin is really his calling card is his his, his versatility. Uh, so I guess if you have somebody who can play all those positions, you kind of take what you can get at the plate. Uh, but you know, again, on the on the early watch list, I would say. I guess the the real question that you would ask about Gonzalez is is sh- should he be taking at bats from certain guys? Yeah. Um, should he be taking at bats from Christian Arroyo? Should he be taking at bats from Bobby Dahlbeck? Um, if you look at Bobby Dahlbeck and and you look at the quality of contact that he's making. Yeah, I mean he's still got 18 strikeouts, but yeah, there's some there's some signs of of potential there. You know, he's barreled up 19.4% of balls that he's put in play this year. That's in the top 5% of the league. Um, so yeah, there's going to be a lot of swing and misses game. You, you already knew that coming in. Yeah. Um, but when he is putting the ball in play, uh, he's hitting it hard and doing some damage with it. Uh, you look at someone like Arroyo, who's got seven doubles already in 47 plate appearances. He has a 927 OPS. Should he be losing at bats to Gonzalez at second base on certain days? Yeah. Um, you know, those are the two guys I, I think that you would look at and you would say that if you're going to look at, at someone who should be off the bench a little bit more and you're going to advocate for somebody, I, I think it would be those two. Um, and Gonzalez would be the guy I think who would lose uh, a bit of time uh, in yeah. those scenarios. And, and, and honestly, I, I think you sign Marvin Gonzalez to, to be a utility guy, to be a veteran presence in the clubhouse and, and someone who could bring you some character. Um, if you think that Dahlbeck is, is your best power prospect, and I think that's certainly how they saw him, if you think that Arroyo can reach something approaching the, the value that he showed a few years ago when he was a first-round pick and, and a major trade piece in a transaction between the Giants and the Rays for Evan Longoria, if you think that he still profiles as that type of guy or could approach being that type of guy, you need to give him a chance. Mm, right. and, and Dahlbeck the same. Um, and if those chances come uh, you know, at the cost of, of putting Marvin Gonzalez on the bench once or twice more often during a given week, I'm okay with that. This is these are some of the challenges that that uh, Alex Cora uh, faces early in the season. Obviously, if you've got some uh, guys that you feel uh, are ready to take that next step, how how much do you stand in their way? How much do you uh, take those at bats away? Uh, and and yet you still want to give players like Hunter Renfro and Marwin Gonzalez an opportunity to get things straightened out or improved. So it's, it's a, it's a diff- difficult uh, balancing act for sure. You know, again, we're early in the season, but these are things that are just kind of creeping up and you wonder, you're right. So how much better could Christian Arroyo be if he's playing almost every day, right? Uh, so Bill, um, as I was looking at the standings this morning, uh, it was still surprising to me that the... Uh, the New York Yankees, the Bronx Bombers, God's team, as some would call them, stink. I mean, they're a seven and eleven. That's that's a, it's a convenience store, and it's the basement in the American League East. I know we, we are we're unfairly taking. Uh, I am unfairly taking great pro, great uh, great pleasure in this, and of course the Yankees are not this bad, and they are probably you know one five-game winning streak from being in second place or something like that. But I guess in all seriousness, the question is, how, how come they stink? What, what I love about this is that every time you bash the Yankees on this podcast, and, and you do it with such appreciable venom, it, it really is wonderful. <laughs> it's so rare that you get a chance to do it. You have to, you know. I, I think back to young Bill Corey sitting on his couch in Fall River in 1978. Yeah, don't bring that up. Yeah, having his wasn't sitting. Having his seven or eight year old heart ripped out in that one game playoff at Fenway right. Park in the afternoon. Came home from school for it. God damn it! And, anyway. and just the way that that has dictated your fandom yeah. over the next four decades, I, I just think it's wonderful. Thank God we had the Celtics in the 80s because otherwise, oh. you know, you would have been miserable and, and rightly so. You know, the Braga Bridge is right there. You know, so but anyway. I just I just think it's great that. That you know you've carried that all these years and and it's still so genuine. I I love it. I do. 
<laughs> I do. Well, you know, it's tempered by the fact that the Red Sox have had certainly their share of success. But anyway, uh, so Bill, looking at the Yankees, though, in, in all seriousness, sure. they are not this bad. They they, they no. are a much better lineup than than a seven and eleven team. And you know, really, it comes down to pitching, I guess. Right, right now, this, at this point, anyway. Yeah, their pitching has been terrible. They they really only have one credible starter, and, and that's Garrett Cole. And and the drop off from him has been massive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Cole through four starts has a one eight two ERA, uh, and everyone else is two and a half runs higher than him. Uh, Domingo Herman coming off suspension <clears throat> has been poor. Uh, two off seasons, two off season additions they made, Corey Kluber and Jamison Tyone, have not been good. They've had, they each have an ERA of five forty. Um, you know, you wonder where that sort of help is going to come from if you're New York. Uh, and and what you generally think about the Yankees is. Mm-hmm. Even if they don't pitch, they're going to slug. They're going to hit the ball. There's going to be a point, a two- or three-week span in June or July where the weather warms up and the ball starts to fly in the Bronx right. where they're just going to beat your brains in. They, they, they just have too much talent in that lineup to be held down. It's going to be right. It's going to be ten to, It's going to be 10 to 8 every yeah. night, and they're going to hit six home runs, and you're going to think, geez, these guys can't pitch at all, and they're still beating the heck out of yeah. us. You know, because... We can't keep them in the yard. They just homer and homer and homer, and they play like men's league softball, and it's like, <laughs> God, you know, like we just can't stop these guys. Yeah. Um, and you're looking at some of their regulars right now, and, and you're looking at Glaber Torres has a 565 OPS. Clint Frazier's at 475. Giancarlo Stanton's at 571. Yeah. I mean, these are not good. They've yeah. all been horrendous. Um, you know, really, the only guy in the lineup who, who is hitting, who is doing any sort of damage, is Aaron Judge, and he has an 860 OPS. That's modest right. in terms of slugger standards. You know, normally the, the best hitter on your team would be well over 900. Um, yeah. You know, so the Yankees have been mortal in the lineup. I think that's exposed the fact that, that their starting pitching has been thin to begin with. And, and when you converge those two things, you end up at 7-11 and 11 and at the bottom of the division. Uh, you know, uh, the Red Sox don't see them for a, for a little bit. I think they play them in early June. June 4th right. is the first series between the two teams, a weekend series in the Bronx. So that is a, a month and a week or two away from now. So, you know, who knows? The world could be... Uh, Baseball could be very different uh, in terms of the standings and where the Red Sox and the Yankees uh, sit by then, but it, it's certainly notable because you know you look at the Red, you look at the Yankees in, on paper before the season and you figured okay well you know you figured them and the Rays and maybe the Blue Jays are really going to be fighting for the uh, for the top spots in the East and you know so far. Uh, you know, the Red Sox have certainly held their own. I mean, better than held their own. And the Rays and the Blue Jays are not far behind, although, you know, Blue Jays, Orioles, and Yankees have sub-500 records at this point. Uh, you know, again, 20 games in, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see what we'll see what's what when June 4th rolls around. And uh, is that series here or there, Bill? Do you, uh, in New York. That's in New York, yeah. Okay. In New York. So. Uh, the first time the Yankees come to Fenway Park this year isn't until the last full weekend of June. Uh, they show up June 25th for a three-game series, okay. uh, all night games in that one. Well, who knows? Maybe by then there'll be more fans in the stands than there are now. Uh, I fully anticipate that. Yeah, you I, know, I do. <clears throat> I think, again, as vaccines become, I mean, we're vaccinating three million-plus Americans a day, I think I last I saw, and, uh, you know, it seems to me that by June 1st there will be uh, a, a good bulk of the population vaccinated, and then I think uh, you know things will start open. I hope so. I hope things will start opening up again responsibly. I think there will still be some ma- mask, uh, either mandates or suggestions, which is fine. But uh, it'll be good to see those those empty red seats at Fenway, kind of holding uh, holding fans again. Absolutely. Uh, so, Bill, in the in the last week, another thing that has kind of crept up um, in the news. Um, hasn't really crept up it's kind of busted the doors down so to speak is something that i know is very near and dear to your heart and i have no interest in and that is you <laughs> that is european soccer but of course i do have interest in this sense that john henry the principal owner of the red sox and fenway sports group uh is the also principal owner of liverpool which is not only the city where the beatles came from but also has a football team uh, soccer as we know it and uh, there was this thing called the Super League that, that uh, was mm. being proposed and so why don't you tell us what the heck's going on and why everybody hates John Henry more than usual uh, 
Yeah. Uh, John Henry, in, in short, uh, John Henry embarrassed Liverpool Football Club. Uh, he, he embarrassed the institution. Uh, he betrayed the history. Um, he, he has subjected the fans, the players, his manager, Jurgen Klopp, to scorn and ridicule uh, in perpetuity going forward. He has done that. Um, he has put them in an untenable position. Uh, with some of his decisions and, and his uh, signing on to, to the Super League, um, which was going to be 12 teams breaking away uh, from what is now the Champions League. Right. Um, the difference is the Champions League is a continental competition in Europe. It, it features the best clubs from European domestic from, leagues. From the different, right, from the different... From Italy, from c- Spain. Country-based leagues. Yep. From Germany. Uh, the Champions League is something you have to qualify for. Yep. In England, the top four teams in the best division qualify for the Champions League. Mm-hmm. So it is a meritocracy. Um, you reach the Champions League because you deserve to reach the Champions League. Right. You deserve to compete against the best in Europe. You deserve to reap the financial rewards from being involved with that competition. And it is very lucrative. Sure. Um, what John Henry and his fellow owners proposed here was a closed shop. 12 teams who could never be thrown out of that competition. Um, So my quick question here is, would that mean that they are no longer members of the English Premier League? They would still be members of their domestic leagues. Okay. But it would not matter how they played or finished. Because they would always be members of this Super League. They would still be in the Super League. Um, The difference between... The European sporting model and, and the American sporting model, the very fundamental difference is that the European sporting model, you hold your place based on merit. The bottom teams in Europe in the domestic soccer leagues are relegated to lower leagues. They don't get to the Champions League, obviously. And so there is no tanking for draft picks. Right. There is no doing what the Red Sox did in 2020, where you just subject your fans to a last place, last place finish and you say, oh, we're rebuilding. Mm-hmm. You know, three or four years will be better. It's okay. Yeah, You don't get to do that there. If you're that bad, you go down. And it's very difficult to recover once you go down to the second division or the third division. Right. Um, and so the very notion of a Super League that has no formal qualification process, that has no merits, that is basically uh, membership by birthright. Yeah struck at the very history, the very core of European football ethos, um, was reviled by fans, by media members, by players alike. Um, He just so badly misread the room um, that it was a disgrace, and and he brought shame to his club, his manager, his players, his fans. Um, In one of your... uh uh, columns about it, you you kind of described it as taking the the best or the biggest market baseball teams in Major League Baseball and essentially putting them into a league in which they don't necessarily have to qualify for and get to play each other. So you take the Red Sox and Yankees and Dodgers and Cubs and put them in whatever this elite league is, uh, regardless of how they did during the during the season. So I think if you think at, think of it that way, it's just inherently unfair. Obviously, because the Tampa Bay Rays and the Minnesota Twins and the, you know, the these scrappy teams that that can figure out how to be successful with low payrolls would never really get there. So let's take a look at, at just the 2020 standings uh, in Major League Baseball. If, if you're looking at the American League, and we'll just make it real simple, the American League East, um, the Rays finish first, the Red Sox finish last. The Red Sox would be in the Super League. Yeah. The Yankees would be in the Super League. The Rays would not. Mm. So when the postseason rolls around, the Red Sox and the Yankees would still play for the Super League title. The Rays would play for whatever secondary title there is. Mm. Is that fair? No, of course not, because now you are relegating or diminishing the the league that they actually play in and then have them play in this you know super elite league that they didn't have to really qualify for, except that they're checkbook balance is big enough yeah according to european football standards what the red sox did last year they would have been relegated yeah it would have been sent to triple a essentially <laughs> would have been the baseball equivalent yeah. yeah they would have become the woo Sox, and some team that had won 
the AAA championship last year would have come up to Major League Baseball to take their place. I understand that that's a completely um, you know, unprecedented concept for American sports fans. We have the franchise model. And we don't have the pyramid right. that, that folks have just about everywhere else in the world. We have the franchise model because owners want their money guaranteed. And so the purpose of the Super League is to guarantee cash coming in for those top 12 clubs. The, um, you know, the reasons for several of those ownership groups being involved, uh, you know, some of them have significant debt that they've incurred on their clubs, and they have huge interest payments to make, whether that's Manchester United or, or Barcelona. Uh, some have built new stadiums, and they have significant construction bills to pay, whether that's Atletico Madrid or Tottenham. In Liverpool's case, John Henry, when he bought the club in October 2010, he settled all their debts. He brought them revenue neutral. They make an immense amount of profit at Anfield and worldwide. Mm-hmm. He did this for pure greed. This was a pure grab coming off the back of the pandemic, the fact that they've been 14, 15 months without fans, and that their profit margins have been lessened a little bit, that maybe they're taking a short-term loss in terms of their revenues and what they've made previously. They're not alone in that. Every club, every business in the world. Certainly every sporting, every, every, uh, every major league or professional sports team has certainly felt it this past year. And so he went for an instant grab to get that money back. It's it's one of the greediest, most self-serving things that he could have done as an owner. And and it's spoiled a lot of the good work that he's done the previous 10 years. He's won a European championship, uh, the Champions League. Mm -hmm. He's won a domestic championship in England, the the first that Liverpool has won in 30 years. He, He ended... A second version of the curse, uh, like yeah. he did here in in Boston. Yeah. Um, you know, he's had some missteps along the way. Uh, there was a ticket price hike in 2016 that was protested by fans uh, that that folks there really didn't like. Um, you know, he's had some other instances, some more minor faux pas that you might say. Right. But this, this was a dive into the Grand Canyon in, in terms of mistakes. It was just so tone deaf, so disassociated. Um, and, and just so nakedly greedy. Well, it's going to be interesting to see what the fallout is here. I know I read something yesterday that the, uh, some of the architects of the so-called Super League aren't, aren't giving up, and they're, and they're still planning to try and put something. No, they're together. done. They're done. Yeah. That, that's coming out of Spain, and they're done. That's, that's a lot of noise from Florentino Perez, who runs Real Madrid. Real Madrid is heavily in debt. Mm. Real Madrid couldn't afford to spend on a star player during the last transfer window. For, for folks who are unfamiliar with the way uh, player transactions work in European soccer, uh, you buy the rights to the player, and then you separately negotiate a contract with the player. Uh, there is free agency, but generally you can go to a player or a club and purchase the player's rights, regardless of whether or not he has two or three years left on his contract. You negotiate a price for his rights you buy the player and then you negotiate personal terms with him, whether mm-hmm. it's a four or five year deal for whatever it is. Um, you know, so in that way, the biggest clubs remain the best yep. on the field because they have all the financial power. They can buy the best players from the small teams. Um, that's sort of the way the pyramid works. Uh, the, the payoff for the small teams is they get to stay in business, they get to balance their books, they invest in younger players, younger talent, their academies. Mm-hmm. Much like the Rays do. Yep. The Rays invest in prospect capital. The Rays trade established players for guys coming up. The Rays are more cost effective than the Red Sox. John Henry hired High and Bloom to run his team in a more cost efficient, more cost effective way like the Rays. And now in his actions in Europe, he's looking to exclude High and Bloom and the race from the Super League. It's just so hypocritical and disingenuous. And and the worst part of it, Bill, was what it did to the players and what it did to his manager, Jurgen Klopp. On Monday, they had a match at Leeds, and their coach, they they travel in these luxury coaches, uh, these coach buses. uh, They'll leave the team hotel and, and go to the stadium in this luxury coach bus. And there aren't many fans there yet, right? No, it's no. it's closed off. A yeah. lot of the stadiums are still closed. Um, but this is outside the ground yeah. at, at Ellen Road. They're met by protesters, calling them traitors yeah. and scum and greedy. 
telling them to basically get out of the league. Yeah, and it's not the players' fault. It's not the players. No. It's not Jurgen Klopp, but John Henry's decision subjected them to this. Mm-hmm. And this is going to go on for years. Liverpool's players, managers, whoever they may be, they're going to come and go. The club has been stained. Yeah. They're going to be subjected to this treatment for years. You, it, want, you it, wonder it, how long Henry is, uh, you know, uh, effectively going to be there. I mean, uh, I understand, obviously, there aren't a lot of there aren't a lot of people who can actually buy that team from him because it's it's worth so much money. But uh, no. for him to be as sort of on the outside looking in as much as you are saying, it's hard to imagine how he's going to be move, how he's going to go forward. No, uh, the club as of this month is valued at four point one billion dollars. Um, John Henry bought Liverpool in October twenty ten for four hundred seventy seven million. Yeah, pretty nice, uh, pretty nice appreciations for sure. The appreciation in his investment is, is astronomical, and he had a lot to do with that too. To, of course, to, to he be, did. To be fair, as I said, he did a lot of good things there. Yeah. He hired a great manager in Jurgen Klopp. He's built a very exciting team. Yeah. They have won major trophies. Um, he's renovated the stadium and expanded it uh, and turned it into a, a much better place to go watch a match. Um, but this one misstep. You could look and say, well, it's just one mistake. It's not just one mistake. Yeah. You couldn't make big one. this mistake. Yeah. Um, you know, you shame the club. You subjected your players, your manager, your staff to abuse. And, and you have subjected them to what will be years of abuse going forward. See, we think we're Americans and we, and we look and we look at fans and we think, ooh, you know, Philadelphia, that's a tough fan base or... New York, yeah. you know, that's a really tough fan base. And Boston you know, is look, looked upon Boston, that way, too. Sure. you know, I, I wouldn't want to go there. The fans are really nasty, yeah. and talk radio is tough, and, and they say nasty things. We're the JV team compared to European fans. Mm. Oh, yeah, there's, there's absolutely crazy passion out there for their teams. You know, and, and they, they step well over the line at times in terms of physical violence, racism, yeah. um, you know, along religious grounds at times. The, the rivalries there are so deep that, that it gets to the point where sometimes they are well out of hand. Um, but you don't understand, you, you can't possibly comprehend as an American fan, unless you were to go to a match in, in Europe, just how deep-seated the divides are there. Yep. Um, just how much this is going to be held against them. Um, and you also don't understand the fact that Liverpool's own fans won't allow John Henry to show his face in the city hmm. again. This isn't like trading Mookie bets where we just look and say, oh, well, that's all right, because you know they got Alex Verdugo and a couple prospects, and they got financial flexibility. And, and there are a lot of folks here who would actually advocate for the trade and, and take John Henry's side yeah. and say that the Red Sox did the right thing, even though I think they're completely wrong. In this case... Liverpool fans will be united. They'll say, John Henry, sell the team. Yeah. yeah. Out. What you've done here is, is unforgivable. Um, they will protest his presence at matches. They, they won't allow him at Anfield at this point. He's going to be an owner in, in, in absentia. Right. Um, you know, it's just, it's just, it's probably the worst, it's certainly the worst week that he's had in his three decades of, of professional sports ownership, and, and it's probably not something that he's going to be able to recover from in that market. Wow. Well, we will see what happens out there, and obviously we'll be wondering and asking uh, to see what, if any, impact that has on his Fenway Sports Group and his ownership of the Red Sox. Um, I know that certainly he took it seriously, uh, realizing uh, the damage because he had a issued a... Uh, an apology, you know, on Twitter, I believe, early in the morning uh, after after the whole plan kind of fell apart. So uh, definitely, uh, we'll we'll be watching what impacts and what ripple effects that has here on this side of the pond, so to speak. So, Bill, before we wrap this up, I should just mention that uh, we are approaching the opening day of the Woo Sox. Yes. Which, uh, according to my little uh, schedule in front of me here, they open May fourth at Buffalo. Uh, and then they open at home. I guess the home opener is, I want to say, May 11th, I think, uh, against Syracuse. So, um, you know, as a fan, and th- this is just as a baseball fan, you know, I'm going to make it a point to 
take a trip out to Worcester one of these days, maybe when it gets a little warmer, mm-hmm. you know, maybe in uh, in June or July, just to check out the uh, the, uh, the Polar Park and the whole scene. And but I, I can't help but uh, think that it will be uh, kind of bittersweet because. Uh, it would be something that uh, I think we could have been enjoying here in Rhode Island uh, around the same time if that whole uh, um, project didn't kind of go south there uh, with the Paw Sox leaving town. So, Bill, without rehashing the whole thing, and I don't want to do that because we've talked about it ad nauseum, and they're not here and they're there. Please don't. Um, You'll make me cry. (laughs) Let me ask you, just as a baseball fan and not as necessarily a Red Sox writer uh, and a Rhode Islander, uh, do you have interest in going to Worcester uh, this year? I'm certainly going to go. Yeah. I Yeah, I certainly am. I, I want to check out Polar Park. I, I want to see what it's like. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because Janet Marie Smith and, and her construction history with, with ballparks is, is tremendous. Uh, I mean, when you consider she's the chief architect employed by Larry Lucchino. She's done Camden Yard. She's done Petco Park. She's done renovations on Dodger Stadium. They're all gems. Yeah. Uh, yep. You know, I have been to Camden Yards. I've been to Petco Park on, on multiple occasions. Mm-hmm. They're fantastic. Yeah, I, I love Camden. Yards. I've been there half a dozen times or so. Maybe not quite that many, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's that wonderful mix of feeling like an old park, but yet has all the the uh, amenities of a new park, and it looks great and it feels great to sit there and watch a game. Plenty plenty of room and stuff. So yeah, uh, going to Polar Park, I, I'm I'm going to be excited to see what they've done and uh, and um, you know what kind of product they're going to be putting on the field this season. I, uh, you know, it, it's certainly going to be bittersweet for me as, as someone who grew up going to McCoy Stadium, someone who is on the record as saying that Rhode Island should have found a way to, to work out a deal with the Paw Sox. Yep. And, uh, you know, I, I chiefly blame Nicholas Mattiello for that. Uh, right, yeah. <laughs> uh, former speaker yeah. in the General Assembly. Um, you know, I certainly think that it was his obstruction that, that helped kill that deal. Um, you know, and I, I think that there was a discussion to be had. There were terms to be reached there that would have been mutually beneficial for all. Uh, I just don't see a similar dollar amount being invested or spent in Pawtucket now or anytime soon. Right. Um, you're talking upwards of $150 million. It doesn't matter who spends it, whether it's the team or whether it's the city. The fact is, is that you're developing a blighted area of a city that otherwise wouldn't be developed. Um, you know, if you were to have built uh, a new Pawsock Stadium on the Apex site. I, I know we had a, a story on the journal's website on Friday morning discussing the future of the Apex site. Uh, there is still a dispute going on with the property owner. The city wants to take it uh, via eminent domain. How many years has Apex sat empty? When did they go out of business? It, it's That's a good question. I mean, it seems like they've been is out of business. three decades? I was, I was going to say, it's been at least 20 years since Apex last sold anything, right? I mean, so um, so you're looking and saying, well, the cost of Pawtucket and the cost of the state and, and, and whatever it's going to be. Yeah. What's the cost of having that land sitting there Idle. empty, yeah. undeveloped? What does that mean for Pawtucket? Um, what does that mean for the state? Um, you know, so there was... I will always believe that there was a creative solution to find here. I, I think you know, because 38 Studios had, had poisoned the well, I, I think the public uh, appetite for such a project w- was lessened. Um, I think that there was a certain segment of the public who wasn't going to listen to the details of this project, even if they were beneficial for Rhode Island. I, I think they were poisoned against it to begin with. Um, and as we've seen you know, over the last four or five years, our, our politics at this point are, are so toxic and so divisive that people just get dug in and, sure. and don't want to compromise and, and don't want to hear it. And you're not commenting just on Rhode Island, obviously. No, no, this not at all. Uh, no, clearly no. across the country. No, no, that's, uh, that's nationally. Yeah. Um, you know, and so I, I think, uh, yes, it, it is bittersweet that uh, the Red Sox top affiliate is in Worcester now. But, yes, I, I will go to games there, um, you know, pr- most likely as a media member. I, I don't know if I will as a fan. Yeah. Uh, but I think it, I'm, I'm very excited to see, you know, what Janet Marie Smith ha- has done with the park. I, she, you know, that project was in wonderful hands when they hired her to do it. Um, I'm excited to see our old friend Joe McDonald, who, sure. who will be covering the team. For our sister uh, paper. For our sister paper, the Worcester Telegram and Gazette. Mm-hmm. Uh, we will have 
his coverage online and, and in our print editions. Um, you know, and it's important because the, the Woo Sox have a fair number of players who should end up in Boston soon. They, they look to have a pretty strong team yeah. uh, for their debut season. Um, you know, I'm interested to see uh, how they continue to market in terms of a multimedia perspective. Uh, something that they started last year at the alternate site was streaming these games online. I know they've done that early here with simulated games. Yep. Our, our friends Josh Maurer and Mike Antonellis and, and Jim Kane they do a great job doing play-by-play mm-hmm. uh, on Twitch feeds and, and Periscope and, and YouTube and the Paw Sox Facebook uh, Woo Sox Facebook channel. That's the first <laughs> that, time I did that. that. That's going to happen last. a lot. That's going to happen a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I certainly think that uh, you know they're getting close here. They're a couple weeks from opening day and, and three weeks from the home opener. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's it's going to be something that's wonderful for that community. I, I think by the end of 2024, when you see all of the surrounding development finished, whether it's the hotels, the office buildings, the commercial spaces, um, I think it's going to be a gem in, in the Canal District in Worcester, something that they weren't approaching before, something that they didn't necessarily have planned before without a baseball stadium as the fulcrum as that sort of centerpiece, that drawing piece for investment. You know, Bill, uh, this this will raise the uh, the question here. I think uh, what becomes of McCoy Stadium, but in the short term, uh, in the short term, um, there's a question of uh, where do the Rhode Island Interscholastic League baseball championships get played because that has as you know has always been kind of a crown jewel hey we got to play you know if you're a member of whatever North Providence or Johnston or South Kingston you get to the you know when you get to the championships and you inevitably play LaSalle or Hendrick <laughs> but you know that game is at McCoy Stadium and those are those are memories that people take with them their whole lives I mean Rocco Baldelli obviously went on to play Major League Baseball but still kind of re- remembers his time playing at McCoy Stadium when he when he played high school baseball here in Rhode Island so that's yeah. you know it's one of these unintended or unforeseen kind of consequences what because is that going to happen again well I mean it, it could happen this year the, the park is still there but you know what what kind of condition is it in is it is it being maintained is the field going to be ready and these are questions we're asking you know yeah, I, I would imagine that uh, you know the Interscholastic League has been pretty proactive about putting its championship events at college venues. Uh, if right. there are no pro venues right. available, they use Rhode Island College, they use the University of Rhode Island. They use Brown. Sure. They've used Brown. Yeah. I, I would imagine that they're going to play either at Brown or at Rhode Island College. Yeah. They, they both have uh, capable baseball stadiums. Brown's is, is brand new. Um, yep. I have not been to it yet, but it looks fantastic. Um, you wonder if, if Brown would allow them on campus, considering that, that they didn't. Right. This is kind of an odd year right now, sure. It's strange now. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you wonder if Rhode Island College would, would allow them on campus for right now. Yep. Um, but I certainly think going forward, those would be two venues that they look at that are sort of centrally located, relatively modern, um, you know, good stadiums with good playing fields that, that are well maintained. I, I certainly think that. Those are the alternatives. I, I don't see McCoy Stadium moving forward a, as a baseball venue. Um, you know, there has been talk. The, the big rumor in Pawtucket was that they would demolish the grounds and build one unified public high school yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, you would close Tolman, you would close Shea, and you would have Pawtucket, Pawtucket high. high School. Yeah. Um, you know, Tolman is, is in more of an industrial area in the city, more of a commercial area. In the city, right by the river, right off 95. Shea is actually in a neighborhood. Um, you know, Shea could be redeveloped into housing, hmm. into condos potentially. Um, you know, could be knocked down and turned into townhouses of, of some kind. Yeah. Um, you know, I live in a converted school in a condo, yep. uh, you know, which is on a main road in a neighborhood. It's fantastic for me. Hmm. Um, you know, certainly I, I would imagine Pawtucket or any community could benefit from such housing um you know and and such an ambitious project like that building a brand new high school i mean if you're going to raise the educational standards of the city that's going to raise the profile of the city um it's going to raise land values in the city uh you know all all of those sorts of ancillary governmental benefits that you get Mm. from investing in education investing in, in property like that um you know so you wonder if eventually that comes to fruition 
Um, you know, but I think as as we've seen um, through a lot of these stadium discussions, I, I know a lot of folks have their opinions about sports and their usefulness and you know their impacts on society and whether or not we should be spending on on that sort of thing. Um, there are so many voices, so many opinions, so many folks who think they should be heard on things who should probably sit some things out and, and you should probably let the louder, more informed, um, <laughs> you know, maybe more uh, trusted voices guide the conversation instead of those on the fringe. And, and unfortunately, I think they'll reach a point in Pawtucket where they have some plans proposed for the McCoy Stadium grounds uh, and you'll have an objection or two, or three. And unfortunately, I think those objections will be given more credence than maybe some of the better ideas that are put forward. Well, it's going to be a challenge, certainly for the city of Pawtucket, what they what they do with that with that stadium, because obviously, uh, I don't think it's going to continue as a baseball stadium. Uh, uh, one of the reasons uh, the Pawtucket Red Sox wanted a new stadium bec- was because of the uh, just the condition of the of the stadium itself. Yeah. So if you want to c- continue. Uh, using that as ba- as a baseball stadium, you're talking millions and millions of dollars to get it back up to uh, usable condition, and you question if that's if that's the best use of money, public money for something like that. So, yeah. but anyway, we are getting a little far afield here. So, uh, Bill, we are uh, we are uh, past our typical uh, twin bills uh, running time, but you know. Every now and then, it's it's not that bad. We have kind of like a maybe we can break it off as a little bonus episode or something. So well, that's fine by me. <laughs> that's right. Uh, so uh, Red Sox are playing uh, this weekend the Mariners, and then they hit the they they're going to see Jake Degrom next week with the Mets, and they go to Texas. So it'll be interesting to see what they do against uh, one of the best baseball uh, one of the best pitchers in the game uh, you mentioned l- earlier they they actually beat DeGrom last year which i have no memory of because really who was paying attention to the Red Sox last year but sadly i watched that game <laughs> that's right I, I do remember but it'll be uh I, I it'll do. be interesting to see where they are and we will do this again in a week thank you bill all right thank you